This week on Planet Internet, we are taking a flight across the world to the other side of the pond and going for some international tech news. What is going on with the digital yuan? How are French influencers affecting the Pfizer vaccine rollout? And what's happening in Norway with Tesla? This week on Planet Internet, my name is Amy Tom. I am your host for the Hacker Noon podcast. Hey, everybody. My name is Natasha. I am the VP of Editorial Strategy at Hacker Noon. Hey, everyone. I am Lee Mark, and I'm the VP of Growth at Hacker Noon and our gaming editor. So let's get into it. The first article that I want to talk about today is the digital yuan, and that is China's biggest pushback against the global AML initiative, according to Hugh, who was one of our Hacker Noon contributors. So the premise of this article is that the digital yuan is going to be the first major digital currency from a central bank. And this article is talking about how the simple truth and reality of the digital yuan might be different than what it is intended to do. The intent is to promote decentralization and to limit the money laundering. So they've said that they are trying to reduce the quote-unquote dirty funds in China by introducing this currency, this digital currency, but the contributor has said that the currency will enable the people who are using the dirty funds to continue to do that, and even more so because of the lack of government control on the digital currency. Lee Mark, were you aware of the digital yuan? I wasn't before preparing for this podcast. But now that I've read more up about it and about this article as well, I pretty much agree with what the writer is saying. I think the point of crypto is that there isn't a governing agency, especially a political governing agency. So I don't know if I could say that this is decentralized. I think this is just a digitalized version of fiat currency. I guess it'll eliminate problems, I don't know, passing germs on banknotes and passing coins and stuff like that. But otherwise, I don't think you can call it crypto. And especially, mm-hmm. I don't know, I don't want to get into politics here, but coming from a government like China, it just feels like it could be another way to have more control, not just over the paper money, but also the digital currency space. Yeah, that's essentially what Hugh is, was saying. So let me read you this quote. It says, money laundering remains a significant problem in China, and theoretically, the digital yuan will enable a government crackdown of such crimes. However, China's CBDC may instead serve as a money laundering tool, enabling entities to transact without fear of foreign sanctions, taxes, or other government intervention. So essentially, yeah, they're saying that the it'll have the opposite effect. It'll enable these foreign transactions or dirty money to be thrown around. Natasha, what do you think about this? With things of great power and things of great possibility, you at the end of the day can't dictate how they're going to be used. You can't put too many controls over that. You have to let people take the tool that you've given them and use it the way that it's going to be used. And often we're overly optimistic about that. In the beginning, we thought the internet was going to be used for good and everyone was going to get Mm -hmm. a whole lot smarter having so much access to information. But yeah, this sounds like another one of those might might go. Mm -hmm. I think in general, the internet is a good place for a lot of people to learn about things. I think there is a lot of good that comes with the internet as opposed to bad. So 
Do you think then that the digital yuan should be created or should it just not even be allowed to uh, occur because they're, we can't trust the people to use it? I think if it's not decentralized, I really don't see the point because the problems that you're solving with digital currency has already been solved with fiat currency. In Japan, I can preload a contactless touch card and I can use that to pay on the train. We can transfer money digitally via PayPal, via whatever is the like major money transfer payment in, in your country. So those problems have already been solved. The whole point of cryptocurrency is to remove the governing agency of it. So if a government would be the one to roll out a digital currency, it defeats the purpose completely for me. That's just mm-hmm. my opinion. Great. Yeah. And when I said decentralized, even as I said it, I was like, oh, this doesn't even really make sense because, yeah, you're right. It's, the central bank is the centralization. Like, it, it is the... It is centralization. It's like the opposite. So that's very interesting. All right, let's take a little hop over to another continent. We've got an article from The Connection, which I'm assuming like the Can X you pronounce it French? The you, yeah. I know. Can you like, use a French the, accent? The Connection. Yeah. <laughs> With the X instead of a T, if you're, we're speaking in English instead of French. But this article was written by Joanna York, and it is about French influencers. So the title is French influencers offered 2,000 euros to claim Pfizer vaccine is dangerous, which I think is super interesting. So essentially, this article is saying that an agency called Fazi is targeting influencers based in France, and they are asking these influencers to publicly say that Pfizer, the vaccine, is causing more deaths than AstraZeneca, and they wanted to stay completely anonymous. They're trying to target people with a lot of followers and offer them 2,000 euros to tell their followers that Pfizer is not a good vaccine to get, which I think is super interesting. So I think it really begs the question of like influencer power and control. What do you think about this, Natasha? Absolutely fascinating story. I love this. Russian content mills, content farms existing on foreign Mm -hmm. soil is not a new concept. We've had this become a massive threat to international intellectual culture, I feel, and cognitive space lately. And I think it's so interesting. It's the equivalent of America's early sort of cultural colonization, the McDonaldization of the world. It's getting us where it hurts on social media from the people that we follow, giving us makeup tutorials. Who can you trust? How is big mm-hmm. tech going to rein this in, going to be accountable for the false information that's being spread on their platforms by people who are being paid too much to spread it? Just such big questions. And especially here, Amy, you've just been vaccinated. So maybe you can mm-hmm. speak to your research process. I'd be interested to know prior to getting the vaccine, how did you obtain information that you trusted and decide to get the prick in the end, as they call it? Wow, that's such an interesting question. Okay, so I got the Pfizer vaccine. And now I almost feel embarrassed about this. I didn't do any research at all. I just walked up and they were like, here's your Pfizer. And I was like, cool, thanks. So the only thing that I knew that I didn't want was AstraZeneca because of the media reporting on it. Like I have not gone in and done any research of my own to look at clinical studies or anything, but the media is telling me that AstraZeneca will give me a blood clot and so I don't want it. But that's literally the extent of my vaccine knowledge. I have not like in Canada they just give you whatever 
is available. Like you don't really have a choice like you do. You do have a choice, but you don't have a choice. But it's not like I can walk up and be like, please give me Moderna. They just give you Pfizer. So uh, I guess that's also why I didn't really look into it. But I was thinking about this and thinking about how people who will target these French influencers specifically, who still will have, I don't know, 100,000 followers or whatever, how this is going to have an effect on the global scale. Lee Mark, what do you think about that? Do you think that if these this organization successfully paid a few French influencers, that it would have an effect on the global scale? I think the fact, like, if, if this is true, and if there was ever a confirmed case that they had that much money, and they had a budget to spread this mis- misinformation, it's like double scary to me. And mm. the reason I say that is because I think last year was it, I fell for one of these misinformation campaigns. And I'm somebody that spends, I don't know, eight hours a day on the computer on the internet. So I, mm-hmm. I consider myself pretty like decently tech oriented. I'd hope so working at a hacker noon. So yeah. that like just woke me up to the fact that if I could fall for a misinformation campaign, like almost anyone can. And the mm-hmm. one that I fell for, I'm pre- I think it was called Washington Lights Out or something. And it was about how when there were protesters at Washington, it was a fake campaign that said all the protesters were detained and like all of a sudden they were detained because they were protesting without the government explaining this and all of the news agencies covered it up. And what do you do when you see that first tweet? So obviously that first tweet I saw was questionable. It's like, okay, this could just be BS. So you look to see if there's other tweets with a similar thing. And there are. Then you go to look at the counts. Is this an account that was made a minute ago? Because then that's suspicious. No, all of these accounts are old accounts with varying follower numbers, varying posts. So Once you start to believe that, I'm more skeptical. So I went outside of Twitter and I thought, okay, let's see if people are talking about this on other places. They were talking about this in other places. These misinformation campaigns aren't just, oh, let's just call a few influencers and spread a few fake tweets. No, they're super targeted. They're super planned. They're scheduled. They they know the psychology of the person who's uh, trying to figure out if this is fake or not. And they play to all of those. So for me, I'm really scared. If there's an agency out there that has thousands of euros and has money to put behind this thing. It's like double scary. I don't think it can just be solved by the big tech people fixing their algorithms or small things like that. I think there has to be a major change. And I don't really know what it is, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. Like, is a snowball effect for sure. As more people believe in the fake news, more, other more people will also <laughs> believe in the fake news. So it continues to build up upon that. That's really interesting. All right, cool. Let's take another flight over to Norway. So Norway, the news over here is that Norway fines Tesla for reducing battery capacities and charging speeds. This is a article that I'm reading by uh, from Engadget by Steve Dent. And it essentially is saying that Tesla is has been found guilty and has been ordered to pay $16,000 to 30 different owners of a specific line of Model S. And this particular Model S had dropped in range and charging capacity following a software update. So Natasha, had you seen this news, being someone who is coming from around that area or <laughs> closer Indeed. than I am at least? <laughs> Indeed. I saw this article and the the question that came to my mind when I saw the headline was 
is Europe just a lot better at regulating and or punishing big tech than the US is? And if so, what what can America learn from Europe about regulating big tech in terms of really facing up to big tech's anti-regulation, pro-collection of personal data, steady erosion of democracy? Europe really has been leading the way. And sure, America has had some very entertaining congressional hearings last year with the whole antitrust thing. But Europe's been busy with GDPR three years ago already and uh, anti-competitive mm-hmm. legislation that came out at the end of last year. Uh, big tech here faces yearly checks as to how they're tackling harmful or illegal content on their platforms here now, according to the European Commission. And uh, yeah, I, I feel like they have large fines for non-compliance, which is, by the way, the European way. Anecdotally, when we had lockdown, we had a, a curfew of, of 9 p.m. And the way that they enforce these and everything else in Europe is fines. I've noticed in South Africa, they threaten jail time and you feel secure in the fact that they're not going to want to process the arrest. It's too much of a mission. There's not enough cops to arrest everybody. Here, it's just like an easy fine handout process and it's highly effective because they're expensive. And so it looks like they're just applying the same policy to big tech and handing out these massive fines and really being swift on handing them out as well, Mm -hmm. which is good. So... Yeah. Is Europe better at regulation than the US? What would you say, Limark? I definitely say so. The GDPR is the only governing rule, I think, that prevents big tech companies, well, not prevents, it protects people's data from these big tech companies. I was looking into this quite a bit when I was writing for an AI company because data is one of the things powering AI. So that was like a really big deal in that industry. And the GDPR is like the only thing that scares some of these AI companies from farming data from European citizens. I think if the rest of the world were to adopt something like that, people would start following suit because as as soon as there's like a suable mandate in place for data, then companies have to start paying attention. But if Mm -hmm. it's just, oh, we want to make everyone think we look good in the public eye, like usually that isn't going to matter to most companies, I think, like especially companies that are already, already established. Yeah. Yeah. One you thing know, to know in this actually, article. I feel like. Oh, sorry, Lemar. Go ahead. One small thing to know in this article, though, was that the lawsuit went through because Tesla didn't even reply. So I think the motion is going to be put forward. It says unless they appeal, which is just mm-hmm. a interesting to me that they didn't bother to make a stance on it. Sixteen thousand times thirty is not enough for them to yeah. blink an eye. That, that's like an hour <laughs> of the revenue or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say I think actually that data governance is maybe Europe is better, but there still is a lot of data governance in the States. We have uh, HIPAA, for example, which is the uh, healthcare one. We have PCI, which governs credit card information. There's the Californian version of GDPR, which I can't remember what exactly it's called. And there's a similar version in New York as well. But when GDPR was introduced, still made huge waves in America because any kind of European data has to be governed. Doesn't matter if you're an American company, you still have to pay attention to any data that is 
invol- involving European citizens still made huge waves in the data compliance industry. And yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see compliance of standard of technology. This is data compliance, which we're talking about like security. But what is the compliance for standard of technology in terms of in this case, like if Tesla does a software update and and has less battery capacity, right? Like who governs that in the States? I have no idea. Somebody must. (laughs) Anyways, let's go over to a different universe. This is not a physical world, but a virtual world. And so I want to talk about this article that was written by Dan on Hacker Noon. It's called NFTs, Metaverses, and the Virtual Real Estate. Lee Mark, I had no idea that virtual real estate was a thing. Now that I think about it and the rise of NFTs, I'm not surprised, but I had no idea that virtual real estate was a thing. And I think it really surprised me that in this article, it says on March 16th, a piece of real estate on the Simonium space platform was purchased for 500,000 USD. Another one on the Decentraland platform was sold for 572,000. Crazy. Did you know about this? I didn't know about these individual sales, but I've heard of Decentraland sandbox. It's my first time hearing of Somnium space. But I definitely have heard of this, and I was as surprised as you were about the selling prices. How much do you know about these metaverse lands so far? Not too much. So this is what I gather, especially from this article, which is a great article, by the way. It's like Minecraft meets NFT slash blockchain, right? Like you go into this world, it's virtual world, and the purpose is just to live and interact with things. It's not like you Mm -hmm. win or anything. And Mm -hmm. this article talks about this particular investor, a Singaporean investor who bought like $69,000 worth of art and NFTs. And he has these plans to include a virtual space so that he can display his nfts and that's how i envision it like Mm -hmm. going into this virtual world and just like looking at things right yeah definitely and when i looked into this a bit because i I thought the best way to figure this out is just to buy some and see what happens and i looked at sandbox and on that day everything was sold out and when i was looking at it i noticed that a lot of the land wasn't bought by individuals a lot of it was bought by companies so i think like the what you're betting on here when you buy this virtual real estate, basically the, the end of this article, the guy talks about why buy virtual real estate. And the main things he talks about is how the prices of virtual real estate have risen, much like the prices of crypto, certain cryptos have risen or certain NFTs have risen. And while you can look at it from that way of just a purely financial standpoint, I think the bigger idea is what are you buying? What you're actually buying is this small amount of virtual space in this virtual land. So when you're paying that money, you're betting on the growth of this platform. Because if this metaverse becomes the next Facebook, now this company owns this huge part of that social media network or whatever you want to call it that millions of people go to every day. So what that company could sell their products on that land, they could advertise on that land. So if you're betting that this thing blows up and is the next Facebook or is the next Twitter, then in in a way, 500K isn't that much. Imagine owning Mm -hmm. a piece of Facebook infinitely. Yeah. But here's what I don't understand. What stops Decentraland from just making unlimited plots of land? It depends. Like You'd probably have to read the white paper to see the rules, but... To answer your question, I don't think anything stops them. I guess the ones that you would invest in depend on those certain rules that people create. Maybe much like crypto, how there's a cap on certain cryptocurrencies. 
hopefully mm-hmm. there would be a cap on this land to keep the price down. But mm-hmm. you never know. They could uh, right. remove that cap even if it does exist. Yeah, because like, why would I pay $500,000 to get a plot of land when there's also like a million different plots of land? If we were g- going to equivalent this, equivalent, oh my god, if we were going to compare this to Facebook, what if owning a plot of land is like the equivalent of owning a Facebook profile? Everybody's got that. Why would I pay $500,000 for that? So I don't know. I just don't really get it. <laughs> Natasha, what do you think? Yeah, I've got to admit, I struggle to to wrap my head around it as well. I would imagine that it's the same as the answer to the question of why don't they just print more money and that mm-hmm. they do. I also thought that just speaking of virtual universes and across the pond, though, it wouldn't really be a European podcast if we didn't mention Eurovision. So <laughs> I do want to talk about that. As a general rule, I feel like on this podcast and our listeners should let us know if this is something that they are into but we should always just wrap it up and or have a midway break that is a pop culture kind of mm-hmm. happy hour minute situation where we check in on what we're watching listening to reading things like eurovision song festival which was huge shout out to italy any of our listeners if you're in italy please tag us on twitter And let us know that you heard this because, wow, we were amazed by your nation's performance in the Eurovision Song Festival 2021. Absolutely amazing. Where to go, deconstructing. Can I ask you one question, Natasha? Absolutely. My image and understanding of Eurovision is 100% the film Will Ferrell made. How accurate is the Will Ferrell film depicting the Eurovision Song Contest? I refuse to watch it. I refuse to watch it. Why did they allow Americans to make a film about Eurovision Song Festival? I don't understand why that is allowed. Why? Who passed that? Who signed off on that? I'm not sure they should be shot. It's not okay. It's not okay. So I think that what we need to do is rather just step back and understand that Eurovision is something that has been going since 1956. I am of the opinion that voting is highly political and an amazing and dramatic reflection of whatever is going on in the world at the time. For example, the UK gets no votes this year because Brexit, Italy may have won because they could use a win. Okay, they had a bit of a hard time (laughs) to make these jokes. But at the end of the day, it is just this incredibly expensive massive show you want to talk uh, take angle it, the show the end result show lasts about nine hours it's held in rotterdam which is the greatest the biggest haven in the whole world it's i said haven because the dutch word is haven but what i mean is port it's a huge harbor um, oh, so oh, okay. <laughs> i just I was like wow it's a I haven i studied amazing. for my exams my integration <laughs> exams i'm nailing it anyway so yeah the tech was amazing big lights big lasers just hours and hours of entertainment so yeah i don't know to answer your question Mark. i haven't seen the movie i hope to never cave and watch it is it good is it good should i watch it i like will ferrell so i'm biased and i thought it was decent but you can just tell me by saying are the costumes this crazy is this normal (laughs) this is not odd oh this movie Not even a little bit odd. In fact, Ukraine had one of the best. And in fact, Norway had, their song was called Fallen Angel. And the guy wore wings much like that costume. So Norway, uh, Fallen Angel, that performance was so incredible. 
Iceland stole the show by getting some comedian guy to come on and read the points. It was really a really entertaining year. People were starved for it as well after last year being cancelled. But Italy definitely deserved a win. So that's uh, that's pop culture happy hour. The other thing I wanted to check in with you guys on this week was what products you're using and loving. The reason I'm asking is because I recently treated myself to a new iPhone and I've just got to say... You're only as good as your latest tech purchase. It's really, it just uplifts. It uplifts your life. It opens your mm-hmm. eyes. So talk to me about your guys' best tech purchases. Okay, mine is going to be my iPad Air, which I got last year, almost even maybe two years ago at this point. But the reason I'm bringing it up is because some of the members of the Hacker Noon team have recently just purchased a iPad Air as well. And we are we've been discussing Procreate, which is my favorite thing in the entire universe. It's the app on the iPad where you can draw things. Amazing. Love it. I love digital art. It's the best. My uh, tech-related purchase is a item that's supposed to help me exercise in VR without the sweat running down my face. Because as you can imagine, if you're going hard and there's something on your head, it's going to collect all the sweat. And what? the contact area of the headset is like this. It's around your eyes and your nose. So the way they solved that was to create a sweat-absorbent headband, but there's holes for your eyes and your nose. No. Um, but the result is that I look like a wannabe Batman. Like I'll send you guys the picture <laughs> after, but it's it looks pretty much like a Batman mask. So oh you look like you're you're robbing a store or something. But I'll have to hand it to them. It works. Like it does stop the sweat. So that has drastically improved my VR exercise. Nice. All right. Great, All right. Great recommendation. Shit you didn't know you needed. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Amazing. Thank you guys for joining this week on Planet Internet. I am so excited that we got to take a little trip over to you and learn about some tech news from across the pond. If you like this episode of the Hacker Noon podcast, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to the Hacker Noon channels. As always, you can find us at Hacker Noon on Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. And until next time, stay weird. Goodbye.